Okay, you're listening to Free Will Science and Religion podcast. I'm David Joseph, and today I'm here with Jamie Soden, George Ortega, and Trick Slattery. And today we're talking about the future of free will and what the world would look like if we managed to convince people that they didn't have any free will. Um, and just before we jump into that, I just want to plug the uh, website where people can go to to leave us comments and ask us questions. And the website is freewillscienceandreligion.wordpress.com. So if you want to leave your comments or ask us some difficult questions or just you know threaten to kill one of us, then uh, we recommend you go there. Right, so we're talking about um, how the future would look if we managed to convince people that they had no free will. So if everyone was going around with basically no ego and uh, you know um, no sense of... Um, that they deserve more than others or that, that they're, they're more guilty than someone else or they're responsible for their own behavior and things of, of that nature. So um, who, who wants to jump in and go first here? Like what, what, what technology would come with it? What, um, what kind of mental outlook would people possess? Uh, how would it be different from today's kind of overall view of um, you know, things like individualism and um, you know perhaps what, what what effect would it be on, um, you know, groupthink and things like things like that? Anyone want to jump in or? Well, I think uh, Jamie <laughs> or Trick. Okay, well, I think um, once the ego breaks down, there will be there'll be a, more of an equal kind of status within within um, the world. Uh, it won't be completely equal. It'll never be completely equal, but I think it, it'll just be um, more balanced out in the long run. Um, and then with technical technological advances um, in the future each person would have more um, have the same access to, to that technology so right now um, we have we have it where only some people have access to the, the good technology some people don't have the full access but I think that would be more equal as well and and obviously we, we can now communicate through the internet and things like that uh, I think that'll just increase tenfold, and we'll be able to um, have e easy access to information a lot quicker. Right. Yeah. And porn. So, um, Jamie, what we, I've, I heard you mentioned something to do with bioengineering uh, earlier. Uh, so. Well, Will brought up before I did, but um, yeah, I agree with him that in the in the distant future, I mean, since uh, free will is an illusion. Um, it, in theory, it is technically possible to reprogram people to be completely blissed out and never do a single harmful thing in their life. Yeah. Right, and I suppose we could do that with um, kind of uh, controlling their environment to a certain degree as well. Exactly, yeah. So we wouldn't necessarily need to, to add kind of any magical technology. We could just kind of if we could produce an environment that was, um, as you know, more caring and and more more related to, to working together and whatnot, that would probably benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, a culture that's less, you know, not obsessed with violence and sex, you know, like um, like it um, appears to be in the, you know the media and stuff like that. You know, there's an obsession with like. You know, people killing each other for vengeance and stuff. 
and uh, that can kind of give people the wrong message, especially at an early age. And that's why we have like age restrictions on horror films and that. Right. Uh, what about you, George? What do you think? Well, it's interesting. I think that this free will belief is a very strong factor in limiting our ability to create that kind of society. Because people think that any kind of social engineering or genetic modification of our behavior and all is unnatural. It's like, and, and also they believe that, like, they know we still have a free will to do whatever we want regardless and all. So to the extent that people understand that we don't have a free will, then they begin to understand that, you know, we're going to be conditioned as individuals and as a society by, by whatever, anyhow. In other words, like, if our parents aren't conditioning us, the schools will be conditioning us, then Madison Avenue, marketers, you know, basically every, every, the, the media, the, the, our literature, our art, we, we are, you know, we're fundamentally conditioned by society, you know, to be the people we are. So to the extent people understand that, then, then the prospect of this quote unquote artificial means of just basically like, you know, creating agents, whether they're chemical agents or programs to make us happier and better, that will be much more palatable to people, you know, once they understand that we don't have a free will and we're conditioned to be who we are by whatever, you know, conditions us in society. I think that's an excellent point, George. I mean, uh, people currently think that they're um, these agents that aren't anything, any they think they're completely different than, say, like a, um, a robotic agent that has consciousness. So they, they just think there's something outside of that, that that's something special. And I think when people recognize that, that really they're just a, a causally influenced for, for their whole programming of their brain, that they'll, they'll recognize that it's not really a big leap to, to go into a more technical, uh, um, less organic state. So, so it might, might be a move to... Uh, say moving people from the organic bio biological bodies that we are to a more mechanical um, uh, less problematic body or something like that and a body that will last longer as well so that um, say if we like you know, do space exploration like in the far distant future um, if we have like greater life expectancies then uh, we can in theory survive the journey um, you know that takes about hundreds of years. Yeah. Now, I think the fear people have of that is that um, it's something that somebody else might be controlling or something like that, and the, and the, and and that might be a concern for them. Like like it's something that um, uh, is like no longer in state. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. We we want to avoid that. We we don't want to put across a message that we're we're advocating for a um, uh, a society that's where there's no freedom involved. But yeah, so we, I guess we're going to have to define freedom and um, free will, the difference between the two. Yeah, because there's a difference between political freedom like, and um, free will. I mean, um, with democracy, people have a right to vote and stuff, uh, whereas like with no free will, it's just all causal. Um, yeah. And so like this free will belief actually is limiting our ability to do that from another perspective because like you know all these issues we're, we're talking about they're kind of like emotionally heated people have strong opinions about them and like in trying to explore them whether they're viable whether they're helpful or not you know often very often we're not able to do that because we get stuck at the stage of you know from our free will believe 
um, blaming others for having a certain opinion, for being wrong and thereby for being evil. And, you know, like, and, you know, so basically this, this free will belief um, construct that, that we have, you know, just really limits our ability to, as a world, as a society, explore the, these issues and arrive at, 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 um, animal, at, at, um, at answers that work for everyone. It's like you said in um, your video about um, immorality, stupidity, and uh, whatever. Um, you, you said that people are not fundamentally to blame uh, for um, any of these things, but at the same time, we need to address them uh, so that people don't make the same mistake the next time. Right, yeah. So we're, we're not saying that um, because there's no free will that there won't be any consequences to certain behaviours. We're saying that whatever action you take will have a consequence, and those consequences need to be addressed. Yeah. But at the same time, we don't have to have blame involved, or we don't have to consider you to be some kind of evil monster in order to address whatever it is you've done. Yeah, yeah exactly. So in the far distant future, instead of punishment, we can have like um, you know correctional facilities where we repro we effectively reprogram criminals so that they, they come back out as completely harmless in theory. Right. The consequences will be always always be forward-thinking consequences. They wouldn't be to place blame on something that somebody did, but rather to change the behavior in the future. And, yes. And and uh, with technology and all that, we can create mechanisms that do that. I think. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I think. Uh, go ahead. David. Sorry. No, sorry. Right. You go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Basically, so like you know, we're talking about like you know, not blaming people. I think theoretically, you know as a result of like the world understanding that we don't have a free will and we're completely programmed we might be motivated to create agents to for example like we have a conscience and like a conscience I, I think uh, my knowledge of neurobiology in the brain you know has led me to understand that there's not a, a specific point in the brain that that we can attribute to right and wrong and all but it's a collection of, of different areas and all but if we can, like, develop agents to kind of, like, for example, with, with psychopaths, part of their brain isn't working that allows them to empathize well. Um, with kleptomaniacs, maybe it might be something else. So, like, if we can engineer these agents, these morality agents, that kind of, like, work in tandem with these emotional agents that make feel, people feel better, then ultimately, you know, as a result of overcoming this free will belief and this belief that, like, no, it doesn't matter what we do, we still have the belief the, the, the ability to decide regardless of any conditioning or genetic um, you know, manipulation, then we can actually create these agents, yes, that, that will make a population of human beings that with a conscience far stronger than today's, where we won't even have to like, we, we won't even have to consider blaming and, and you know, this kind of um, you know, address because, because everybody will be like much more, um, you know, net or a, a, because of the agents just doing the right thing. Yeah, but we also have to, um, you know, address the causes of why people become um, psychopaths or, um, you know, drug addicts or whatever in the first place. And uh, one one way to address it would be to encourage healthy lifestyles, like um, uh, don't eat uh, don't eat too many sugary things, and um, you know, and you know, watch your weight and um, also do something about the um, pollution in the environment. Um, even something like ionizing, 
even something like ionizing radiation could probably affect someone's behavior as well. Yeah, and then once once technology you know increases, uh, like like they're already working on the the like as you mentioned uh, earlier, Jamie, the microchip for um, psychopaths. Uh, they're they're kind of working on that currently because they they understand that there's a part of the brain that that um, that is a has a problem to it that they can bypass uh, yeah. with the microchip. So so that you know they're already working on these type of things. So so technically once the technology comes around, then then it'll be less about um, changing the behavior of people, like not eating, but but it, but it'll be fixing things using the technology instead. Uh, it'll be replacing those things if people can't, you know, can't don't have the willpower or whatnot to uh, change their behaviors. So we can change it mechanically rather than uh, oh, yeah. some other way. But yeah, you, it's a good point. Uh, we we can change uh, people's behaviors through uh, psychology, you know, through through mental tasks or having them do mental tasks. But that that's probably a harder way of doing it. So in the future, I'm thinking there'll be easier ways. I do think that some degree of uh, me mental health problems can be attributed to um, you know poor diets because um, malnutrition. Um, it's going to cause something to go wrong within the body. If, if, if it's not going to be with a heart or liver, it's going to be with a brain. Right. Well, I'm, I'm thinking with, with virtual reality, for example, uh, once that's up to par, which it's, it's getting there, but it's not, I mean, you can't taste anything or anything like that. But once, once you get that mechanism of virtual yeah. reality, people could actually eat all the junk food they want in virtual reality and yet at the same time not gain weight, not be unhealthy because... Uh, exactly. So, so it's it's you know that, that's where, that's where technology can go for enhancing that type of thing. So, yeah, I'm just I'm just saying like in regards to real life, I mean people are gonna have to watch um, what they eat because um, unhealthy foods can lead you know is obviously gonna cause something to go wrong within the body. Right. Yeah, I, I would say probably prevention is better than cure, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. But I, but I guess if you if you've got the technology, then you know what's the um, I guess the harm or suffering that might be experienced in between the you know the initial uh, like the initial behaviour between that and having the actual cure administered. I guess that any suffering caused between that would be best avoided. By oh, trying to kind of cut it off before it happens. Yeah, but yeah, you, can't, you can't reverse time and stop, you know, stop the psychopath from hurting someone before it happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because sure. Yeah, it happened. But the least we can do is to try and you know stop them from doing it again. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so what about the idea of punishment in the future? Then? What, what would what would happen if if nobody believed in free will? Uh, what what would happen? towards the idea of punishing a criminal or a psychopath. If we say we haven't quite got to the point where we can just put a microchip in someone's head and we, you know, we, kind we, of cure Oh, so we haven't gotten to that point yet, is what you're saying? Uh, well, yeah, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, yeah. Okay, because if, yeah, if we have gotten that point, then I'm saying, saying that, yeah, then there'd probably be less cases of that. But if you're saying that we haven't gotten to that point yet, then, then we're kind of in like a mid-stage and... 
and uh, that that's probably something where we'd have to work on more psychological rehabilitations and things like that. And so so it will be it will seem like punishment, uh, I'm sure, but uh, it won't be you know the technology that's doing it. Yeah, and that's that's where we actually are now. In other words, people are concerned, like to the extent that our world accepts that nobody has a free will. People, are, well, then what do we do with criminals and all that? So, like, basically, the answer is that we adopt the model we use in medicine and psychiatry. In other words, when treating people who have identifiable genetic or whatever um, illnesses, emotional illnesses, the understanding within the medical profession is that they're not to blame. You know, they don't attribute these conditions to people's free will that I freely chose to be delusional or depressed or anxious enough or whatever. They, um, they attribute this to the biochemistry, to the environmental factors, to, to whatever. So, so in terms of the criminal justice system, basically what we would, would do is apply these principles. So basically, you know, in order a person can commits a crime, we establish how rehabilitative are they you know for, for example because I think with certain psychopaths or you know pedophiles or something it may not be possible to completely um, remedy their situation out but we determine to what extent they're amenable to either psychological or biological agents that will you know help them to not um, you know be dangerous to society and then we're also going to have to have a, um, a deterrence component because like you know people are still going to like well, you know, if, if there's no penalty against, let's say, robbing a bank, then people might want to rat, rob banks. So then, like, we go from the free will-based, you know, give them 60 years, you know, whatever. It's, it's, the, the penalty and punishment would be based to a great extent on our belief in free will and that they're evil and they deserve to punish to a more rational and probably more effective um, kind of um, equation that, that helps us to figure out, well, how much punishment is necessary for deterrence. So, so again, it's going to be a, hopefully a much more effective, intelligent, and compassionate system of punishment. Oh, George, it's much more extreme with, uh, you know, terrorists and pedophiles for li um, than a license. Um, some people um, go a step further and want to torture these people, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's so like, you know, in some cases, you know, we may, you know, need to institute life sentences or death penalties. Who knows? But, yeah. but the idea is, like, it'd be much, much more rare than in today's society. John, John O. Pierce brought something up that I thought was interesting. He said you could think of it kind of like um, we would have a, a quarantine of a disease. Like, if, if there was a disease that was spreading around, um, we would quarantine those people. Yet we can understand that those people aren't to blame for having the disease, <laughs> so right. So so we're still quarantining those people because we don't want them to spread the disease onto others, causing harm. Yet at the same time, uh, you know, that quarantine might be kind of like a punishment to them. So. So you're saying that criminals should be treated as if they were infected. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're treated like, yeah. So they have to be quarantined. Yeah, at least, in, you know, if they're causing harms, just like just as a disease would cause harms. But yet you're, you're not the cause of that disease. You, it, you, it, you just had the cause of luck, unluck to have the disease. So it's kind of just a quarantine uh, thing that you'd have to do for practical pur purposes. Right. So uh, when it comes to deterrence, uh, would you, um, how would deterrent, deterrence work? Um, with someone who has a disease or, or something like that who's getting sick is um, 
I go, I'm not on the um, the same page when it comes to deterrent. I think. Deter um, yeah, deterrent is something different. Deterrent is basically trying to prevent the the disease from happening by deterring it. <laughs> but and, right. So yeah. it doesn't it doesn't really work for that analogy. Um, the deterrence, uh, I think we would have to basically, I think we would minimize down deterrence to the degree that that they're effective, yet at the same time, never ex, um, never increase them above that. So we have to we have to be careful of of like too much of an imbalance between deterrence and um, the crime that was committed. Right. Cause, I mean, cause the person's not to blame for it, for it, you know. It's not. It, yeah, precisely. I mean, the the idea that I'm thinking of is that there is almost no deterrence. I mean, if well, you, if you're if you're raised in, in a loving environment, in, uh, think in, about in think a, about the speed limit, for example. You know, sure. Going going past the speed limit, there's a deterrent, right? And that's because of the dangers on the road and all that stuff. The deterrent is you get a fine of hundred dollars or something like that. Um, right. So, so it's just minor stuff like that. That those are those are all deterrents. But yet the person's not to blame for speeding. Technically, they you know they were causally influenced to speed. Yet we still have to deter it by by imposing those type of things so to prevent prevent them in the future from you know, have them think twice about speeding too much or things like that. Right. But I I, I guess if there's a need for them, if they feel that there's a need for them to speed, then they're still going to speed. Uh, I think a lot of people are deterred because of uh, uh, they don't want to get another ticket or things like that. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Yeah, but some people are just simply deterred uh, for their own conscience. I mean, some people just have a natural natural ability to empathize with others. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know like a lot of people are deterred from actually drunk driving, <laughs> driving while while intoxicated. You know, they're they're deterred from that because they don't want to face those consequences. So, right. The point is, in the far distant future, when we eliminate this free will belief and all this stuff, um, the point is, if a technology gets advanced enough, we may not even need to punish anymore. We could right. just like simply quarantine these uh, criminals and then treat them as if they had some sort of illness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My point was basically that um, you know, if everyone's educated to a high degree and you know they have a lot of empathy and understanding, compassion. And you're probably not going to get too many people speeding unless they have a really, really good reason to speed. You know, you know, perhaps they've got someone sick in the car or something like that. So, yeah, I, I think with the lack of free will comes, you know, the understanding and, and the compassion and the empathy that's really needed to implement a society that kind of follows those rules more, yeah. well, more I think, closely. Today. I think with the lack of free will kind of um, suggests that people are more rational <laughs> as well so yeah. so yeah. so when you have more rational people you you have you have just a better overall um, i think actions that are going to take place because of the rational uh, you know people so right and um, what do you think would happen uh, with regards to the uh, the health of our environment the um, the actual impact of no free will on you know, environmental issues and things like that. I think George should answer that one because he. Uh, well, I was, yeah. was going to ask George. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, David, absolutely. I mean, now you know the Pew Research here in the United States determined that last year in 2014, 54% of Americans deny that climate change is happening, deny that we're causing it. 
So, like, with those kinds of numbers, you know, we can't expect any um, immediate serious response to this crisis. And so, to, so then you ask yourself, why, are people, why do people go into denial about this? Some oil executives may because, like, they're making too much money, so they don't want to believe something that's going to, like, limit their income. But I think for a lot of people, this, and then this may be 20, 30, 40 percent of the population, I think what they hear when scientists say to them, you know, you, what you're doing is, like, so horrible that you're condemning, you know, civilization, you might end civilization as we know it, people can't hear that because, like, they feel threatened, their, their self-image and the image of people that they, in their lives is threatened, so uh, this is basic psychology, when we're threatened with such information that, that it's so indictive and we can't face it, our unconscious, we're not even aware of this, will deny that, um, that the information is accurate. So a lot of people say, no, 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 there is no climate change, it's not happening, because they haven't even gotten to the point where they're exploring the evidence, they're basically basing their answer on this need to deny something that that paints them in such a horrible picture. So obviously, like to the extent we become we overcome this free will belief, then you know people can like they won't feel indicted, they won't feel guilty, and therefore they won't go into denial, and they can much more objectively and hopefully quickly begin to to understand the, the serious nature or nature of this crisis. And, and, you know, before uh, addressing it as soon as we can. Right, yeah. I, I often get the argument that global warming is happening, but it's not man-made. Is, is that conclusive? Well, I think, yeah, 90% um, of scientists, um, I think even climate scientists, um, accept that it's, it's like both happening and that we're contributing to the majority of it. So like this, yeah, the, the, this, this is another kind of like form of denial. People will say, fine, it's happening, but we're not causing it, you know, as, as, because they haven't explored the evidence, because they, they need to feel that way to, to kind of like, actually, that's another form of denial. You know, in other words, they, they're basically, um, to the extent that they didn't free, believe in free will, they might actually, you know, because of that, uh, come to a much um, quicker conclusion based on the evidence that we are causing it. So that's an that's an excellent point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My um, my response to that would usually be that um, even if climate change isn't man-made, it still makes sense that we don't add pollutants to our environment. I mean, it makes no sense to pollute the air we breathe and the oceans that we rely on for for food and whatnot. So, yeah, that, that's kind of my response to when when they claim that global warming isn't man-made it's, it's almost like they're trying to give a free pass for them to pollute the environment which is uh it's quite strange yeah. yeah we've got about like two and a half minutes left um how about religion how you know, how would religion change oh um i, I don't know how do you how do you think religion trick, would trick, change trick you answer that because <laughs> well i'm hoping in the future that there is no religion but that's that's my own take on it um I don't know if that'll that'll be the case. Uh, I just think that once people become more rational, it'll be less religion. Um, there might be still be belief in, in God or anything like or things like that, but I think um, the religious beliefs are kind of gonna go by the wayside once people have the information that uh, the internet provides and things like that. So, right, but this free will thing is, is so important because I my opinion is that a lot of people who who are religious and refuse to believe that they don't have free will and, and, and want, want religion to continue, basically at a very young age have been threatened by this eternal damnation. 
But basically, like once people understand that there's no free will, they would they'll understand that it would be unfair for God to punish people eternally for what God made them do. And all of a sudden, this extortion factor, you know, intimidation factor of religion would evaporate, leading to either yeah more complete reform or or an abandoning of of religion. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean the the whole or the whole free will thing. Um, once people realize that there's no free will, uh, cuts down. There's like a whole sect of religious belief that has to go by the wayside because of that. So um, there's there's some you know some religions that there, there might not be free will like Calvinism and things like that. But but there's a whole section that kind of either has to change or be you know rejected at that point. But neuroscientists have known that free will is an illusion for um, how long now? Well, I mean, the, the, the basic evidence came uh, around around 1983 when, when Libet discovered that the, like, the readiness potential for moving a muscle happened before the person was actually conscious of making decisions to move that muscle. muscle. So, like, so, yeah, it's still, you know, it's like three decades already. And yet there's still some people withholding this information um, for either religious reasons or they're doing it because... Um, they want to make more um, money, um, yeah. By you know tricking people into believing that they're they're to blame for their, you know position in society, um, they're to blame if they're poor or whatever. You know? there, there's a lot of people that reject the the whole neuroscientific uh, evidence uh, against free will, uh, but they don't they don't ever address the fact that it's logically incoherent as well. <laughs> so uh, it kind of. Nah. Yeah, I mean, if we were the prime mover, then why do we make all the mistakes that we do? Right. So, um, I was thinking about ending the podcast now, if that's okay with you guys, unless you have anything to add. No, I'm good. We're good. Right, okay. Well, you've been listening to Free Will Science and Religion, and uh, just for those of you who want to leave a comment or send us a question or tell us we're going to hell... Um, you can leave us a leave us a comment at freewillscienceandreligion.wordpress.com. Uh, we've been trying to talk about the the future of um, of free will and uh, how that might affect uh, society and the world in general. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show, and uh, we'll see you next time. And, and and if there's any free will believers out there that want to join in on a, on a podcast with us to discuss some of this stuff feel free to leave a comment on the site that was provided and uh, we can get you in on a show. Yeah, we can get you on a show and we can uh, we can all gang up on you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks for listening.